Welcome to the Men on Purpose podcast, featuring dynamic conversations with emerging and established visionary men on purpose. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate the men on purpose who are committed, creative, courageous change makers, living their best, most fulfilling life possible. Now, here's the host of Men on Purpose, Ian Lobos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Men on Purpose podcast. Today on the show, we have Diamond Dallas Page. Yes, that Diamond Dallas Page, the pro wrestler turned DDP yoga master. And this is going to be a very exciting episode. I think I might talk for about one minute this entire episode. And it's a long one because DDP has such an interesting story from his childhood up to uh, getting into wrestling, managing wrestlers, then becoming a wrestler, getting hurt, starting DDP yoga, and taking control of healing his own body. There are golden nuggets throughout. DDP's 65 years old. He's got a lot of knowledge. He's a huge risk taker. He's a very smart guy, and he is going to flood us with wisdom and knowledge from his experiences over the year. And he's got fun stories in there. And I'm telling you, he is so entertaining. I have a permanent smile on my face during this episode. So sit back and have a listen. This is Diamond Dallas Page. All right, DDP, let's rock this thing, man. Welcome to the show. Do it. <laughs> so good, good me, to be good to be here. You, you came you came with good props from my boy Kent Backler I was over just, at Life Med Institute, who's it was my boy. I was he's, just for 30 say, years he's been my boy. So the, oh, you were <laughs> the episode before this, you know, the the whenever whenever people are hearing this, last week's episode was Kent from Life Med Institute. Love Kent. He's helped me. He's he helps tens of thousands of people around the world. And Kent knew Dallas and said, you got to have him on. And I said, let's do it. Let's roll. And here we are a week later. I love it. Thanks for being on here, man. That's my pleasure. But anybody that comes through Kent, you know, I know they're real people to begin with. And uh, I've sent, uh, I've sent so many to top, you know, WWE or AEW performers for him to get the same thing I have done every probably about every year and a half, which is stem cells on my shoulders and my knees. Oh yeah. And uh, I know I'm going to get the best quality, you know? So for me, that's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. So let's start with, let's start with the background. So for those people that, you know, who are under 30, who don't know wrestling like it was in the eighties and nineties. Sure. Go, go way back. Like where you grow up, where'd you grow up? Where'd you, what kind of kid were you? I just, I want to get that backstory for people to understand that you're no different than they are. I'll just give you how I, when I do a talk to somebody, I I always will get to, by the time I was three years old, my mom was married, divorced and had three kids. Oh, she was 19 at the time. You know, when when my parents split up, my brother and sister went to live with my mom uh, who in turn had to have them live with my grandmother because she had to move up to North Jersey, try to make more money, help support that side of the family. I went with my dad. Uh, bottom line is, you know, <laughs> there was no way my grandmother could handle a, an infant. Literally, my sister was an infant at the time. My one-year-old brother and a three-year-old wild man. The problem was, <laughs> my old man, he was a wild man. He 
was like New Year's Eve, two legs. He was 21. He couldn't even spell the word father back then, <laughs> let alone be one. Yeah. So I ended up literally, <laughs> you know, I literally bounced around from family to family, you know, uh, until he married a woman named Elsie, who was a sweetheart, great lady. Um, and then my dad was going to move to Florida at eight years old uh, and, you know, try to make a, a new beginning for himself with Elsie. And he asked my mom if, if she would, uh, you know, take care of me for about six to eight months. And he's, he's like, I'll take care of him. But we're never getting him back. And yeah. that, that, that war between each other, to me, I never understood. Like my ex-wife and I, Kimberly, uh, we were together 13 years. We're best friends. You know, we, 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 I, I went to her wedding with my second wife yeah. and, um, and my, uh, when I, when me and her broke up, uh, uh, I, my, my girlfriend Paige, you know, had moved in after about three months and Kimberly and Aaron were coming through and they came through and hung and like, we just really care about each other. You know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we have a phenomenal relationship. So go back to my childhood. I didn't understand when people, you know, really have the war, but there's always someone who's causing that conflict, you know, or using the kids to, uh, for their own, whatever. So whatever, that's their, their affair. Mine was I, the, the, the negative side about bouncing around from one play other, you know, you don't really have family members and really get to know them. And I became incredibly adaptable. And that's what I look back at my life today. Like, what did I learn from that? Like being insanely adaptable. I mean, I can hang out with top 500, you know, CEOs, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and Chuck Zito, who is the, you know, he was the um, the leader of the New York Hells Angels. Yeah. So uh, at eight years old, I finally ended up with my grandmother. And uh, she's a great lady. Uh, but she was going through menopause raising a wild child <laughs> which was me <laughs> i wouldn't wish that on anybody uh but she was really great hey baby uh my girl just walked up and brought me some water um but uh you know it was i grew up in point pleasant new jersey which is one of the most beautiful places to raise a family i mean i lived off about a mile off the ocean maybe a mile and a half off the ocean i um, I, I had, I had, a, um, a blessed, you know, childhood, uh, I got hit by a car when I was 12, <laughs> that, that wasn't so happy. Um, and when I was a kid, I really thought that I was going to be playing defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys, who I loved as a kid. That's where the Dallas name comes from. Uh, cause I love that name. Um, I, I thought I'd playing for the Jets or the Giants, the defensive end. Like, I really believed that, you know, 10, 11, 12, then I got hit by a car. And that was that. It hit my front right knee, my face bounced off the hood. And I flew like 42 feet from impact. It was snowing that day. And my grandmother and I got in this huge fight because she wanted me to wear the big boots, you know, galoshes, whatever the hell they were. Yeah. I was so mad. I tied them so tight. I didn't even know I was going to get them off. When that car hit me, the boots stayed there. <laughs> That's how hard it hit me. Damn. No no bullshit. And uh, the thing that came out of that was they wouldn't let me play football or hockey anymore. 
and like I couldn't Early read. Point. I was reading it. Yeah, like it was. I couldn't read. So studies was wasn't my thing, and I wasn't good in baseball because I never had anybody teach me. Someone had taught me. If I had someone there to teach me or help me in any way, I know I could have been pretty good because I'm a natural athlete. But I didn't. And that's, you know, that takes really some kind of skill of someone, unless you're um, a natural, which I wasn't. I was a natural in football, and now they took that away. And uh, What was that like, though? So, um, I mean, I cried. I cried like a baby. <laughs> it was, you know, I tell, tell people all the time that uh, you can't just thank God for the great things that happened in your life. You got to really look back and look at what happened and that can make you the strongest thing ever. And what I learned out of that is because I sucked at basketball too. Um, but that's all they were really letting me play baseball or basketball. And the thing about basketball is incredible. You don't need anybody to play. You can practice all by yourself. Yeah. Uh, seventh, in seventh grade, when I was playing football, I didn't make the team and I didn't care because football was my game. In eighth grade, I made a team, but I sat on the bench and I couldn't play football. And I was devastated that I didn't have the ability to, to, to get off that bench, but here or there. And I thought, I'm changing that. And at, you know, 14 years old, whatever I was, I made a decision. I was going to play every day, all day. And that's what I was saying. It's really good about basketball. No one had to be at the park. Yeah. I could be doing dribbling drills. I could be shooting layups. I could be doing hook shots. I could do foul shots, jumpers. Like there's a million things you can do playing by yourself. It's one of the reasons why Steph Curry is so amazing. If you ever seen his warm up, it's insane that he does like while everybody else is shooting around, what he's doing with that ball. And it really made me reflect on, wow. I was nowhere near good as that, but, but I was doing a version of that as a kid. And, uh, as you, uh, by ninth grade, I was starting, we went undefeated. And then my sophomore year, I started varsity. Now I'm just skimming by in school because at the age of 30, I was reading at about a third grade level. Oh. So getting through, um, having not knowing, no, no one knew what the fuck ADD or dyslexia was. You know, for me to read the book, I'd be, uh, I need, need, need to read, uh, read, read, you know, fuck. I would just, if they, when they, they would call you out to read in class, yeah, terrifying. I would like, I'd fuck with the person in front of me as it was coming around with me. Just, just fucking just like being a, a troublemaker. And I got sent to the principal's, principal's office. I was like, thank God. Because <laughs> after the first, after the first two times, boom, get me out of here. You know, uh, I, um, you know, looking back at that, you know, I didn't know it was ADD or dyslexia. You know, they just, people just thought we were stupid, but I knew I wasn't stupid. Sure. I knew I was pretty sharp as a young kid, common sense wise. And what I've found in life, people who are really smart, a lot of them have no common sense. No. You know, and, and it boggles my mind because they think everything comes out of a book. You mean no, book everything smart. comes out of life. Yeah, yeah book, book smart. smart. Yep. Yeah, well, a lot of people. A like lot that. of them don't. Yeah, and and they're not good business people because unless they get unless you get someone like a Steve Jobs or yeah. you know Bill Gates or you know, we're talking about extreme examples here, but for me, what I learned that summer was work ethic 
equals results. And I would start to apply that to anything that I was passionate about. And getting out of high school, I still did a little bit of college. But the first college I went to was Stockton State in Jersey. They weren't even fucking accredited then. <laughs> so when I fucking failed half my classes, I could still keep playing. Right, right. You know? <laughs> and I did really well. Like, I was that kid who did really well in high school. But if I would have stayed back the one year, which I should have stayed back at least one or two years. But teachers liked me because I was always, you know, active in the class and, partici and participating and was respectful. And I cheated like crazy because how the hell am I going to got people write my papers? But I did stuff for them. It's, it was my learning of quid pro quo. You know, like, I'm going to help you. Can you help me with this? I'll help you with this and that. And uh, it was really a great life lesson. Like, when I went into the Hall of Fame in 2017, the WWE Hall of Fame, they called me up and said, what would you like on the inside of your ring? Would you like Diamond Dallas Page or DDP? Like, what would you like in there? I said, let me think about that. And I called her back about 20 minutes later. I said, Sue, put work ethic equals dreams, explanation point, DDP. And I think that's, it. work ethic equals dreams. I mean, that's, that's life and never giving up and committing to do what you're going to do. Like I, I tried wrestling when I was 23. Yeah. I had three matches in 1979. I was green as grass. I was the shits in the third match. I went over the top rope and I came down wrong on that same name. Hmm. And I tweaked the hell out of it. So now I couldn't wrestle. I couldn't go to practice. And at the same time, I was offered an opportunity. I've been in the bar business since restaurant business since I was 15. Bar restaurant business up into the nightclub business since I was 18. So I bounced. I'd been a runner. I'd been a bartender. By the time I was 23 and ran my own business, Pages Painters. Uh, and um, at when I got that opportunity to run this little rock and roll bar, and there's a restaurant above it, offices above that. And then I got the apartment above that. I had so much fun because now I'm the boss and I can buy drinks for people and have fun. And there was a bar next door and it was a bar on the other side next door. So it was like three bars in one, like being in a club where you went outside, you know, but you went into another bar and we had so much fun. And then I realized I want to own my own bar. Yeah. And I went to Houston and I worked down there in the bar business and I learned from a guy named Bud Reynolds who they called him the Jewish cowboy. He was such a great guy. And, uh, uh, he really knew the bar business. He kind of took me under his wing. I was only down there 11 months, but I helped him open a couple clubs because he's kind of put me on that opening team. So I got to see how you really build it from the inside out. And then at 24 years old, I got the opportunity to run a place in Asbury park, New Jersey, literally one block from the stone pony where Bruce Springsteen, I bet you I saw Bruce 16 Sundays in a row. Oh, wow. And I don't mean walking around. I mean, getting up and playing with cats on a smooth surface, Bobby Bandiera, uh, who was the leader of cats on a smooth surface would later join the East street band and, you know, be a part of, uh, the, 
the phenomenon that is Bruce Springsteen. Yep. And uh, we had we had a killer time in that club. Killer time. <laughs> so what were you? What, so with wrestling, you you it was kind of over. Went to the bar business. What got you back into wrestling management side? Or how did you get into? I tell, it? I tell you what, really. I tell you, what, it, it, every goal I've set for myself, I've either been to the, I've either achieved it, or it's been to the left or to the right or a little bit under. And as life went on, sometimes I just blew right past them. But I always set goals, and I had set this goal that I was going to be a professional wrestler. And then I let the booze, the broads, and the party pull me away from that dream. Yeah. And it blew up in the early eighties, the WWWF blew up and then it became the WWF. And I was so mad at me for not sticking with my goals and my dreams. I stopped watching wrestling. And then one day I was flicking the channels and uh, I saw Gorilla Monsoon really tough to miss Gorilla <laughs> and Jesse, there was the guy who had a leather jacket on boa, crazy do rag and crazy sunglasses and the greatest voice I'd ever heard. It's Jesse, the body Ventura. No, was, I'm like, this guy's fucking sick. Yep. You know, I love this guy. And the first match that comes out because Gorilla's going to do play by play and Jesse's going to do color. The first guy that rolls out, Got a bag over his shoulder, Fu Manchu, long black hair, snakeskin boots. And I'm like watching him. Like he has such magnetism. Yeah. And his name was Jake Snake Roberts. And I watched his work in the ring. Like I had to question, like, this shit's real. Like his shit looked, I can't see through it. Right. Like, is his shit real? But theirs isn't. Like, what's the fucking deal here? Then I heard his promos, and I was like, this fucking guy's, you know, wow, <laughs> this guy's a real deal. So Jake Roberts sucked me back in as being a fan. Love that. So I actually got dressed up in Jesse Ventura because I wore zebra skin jackets and leopard skin boots and holes in my jeans. I mean, we were talking about my 62-pin Cadillac. If you look at this picture right here, which is on the wall, you get a close look of it. This is before there's a Diamond Dallas page. It's only in my mind. But this is me and a couple of Diamond Dolls. But if you look close and you see my jeans. Oh, yeah, leather coat. There's holes in the jeans. Yeah. But there's holes in the jeans. Now that's like a fashion statement. That was 30 years ago. Yeah, you, so, did you start? Did you start the whole? Um, I don't think I started it. I think it was no, a couple of people I mean, who like, did. Like, like, like the the uh, the dolls, dudes. Like, did you start that whole business already? Managing all those people, or this is you just got the idea? Then no, it was. Yeah. I'll tell you how it happened. So um, I get sucked in back into wrestling, and I'm watching, and I'm fucking, I'm loving it. Yeah. By this time, I'm running this huge club in Fort Myers, Florida. And um, I'm in the back office. It's, there's a thousand people in the club. You know, uh, we have six bars, uh, 14 bartenders. I mean, huge dance floor. We're pumping. And I'm watching the front door from my office. And I see a guy who walks in who looks just like Jake. 
I ran around the outside, <laughs> came in, and I said, Judy, did a guy walk in look like Jake Snake Roberts? She goes, yeah, Paige, everybody thinks it's him. I ran in there like a fucking mark, right? When I see Jake, I slow down, and I slowly walk up to him, and I go, uh, hey, man, I go, you Jake Snake Roberts? Who wants to know? <laughs> I said, the guy who runs this place, he goes, yes, what can I do for you? I said, uh, what are we drinking? And that's how I met Jake. We just started drinking. That's so cool. And man. again, I'm the guy who's running the big ass nightclub now. Right, right. So if, if, if the boys wrestle, and that's what we call ourselves, the boys. You know, the boys are wrestling in Tampa. And the next night, normally Miami, it's 300 mile trip. Yeah. So in the middle of that, almost in the middle is Fort Myers, like 135 miles in, boom, Fort Myers, if you're coming from Tampa. So Jake found the club. He knew we didn't pay for any drinks. He came in next time they were coming through. But so Ted DiBiase, oh, yeah. million dollar man. Yeah. I got I, I got a picture of Ted. Now, this is before wrestling, bro. I'm not in wrestling yet. You're just in the club. Ted just in the club, yep. Ted start cocktail and we're having a good time. Bar closes. This would later be me and Ted nice. <laughs> upside down to cook to kill the shooters. Love it. God, we had, we, we had a great time. And Ted just left, leaves him and his wife, Melanie came to my house uh, about three weeks ago uh, to work with me on my program, my DDP yoga program. And cause he wants to try to get some mobility, more mobility back in his body, wants to start working out. And just, he wants to drop about 50 pounds too, you know, it's about 300. He wants to just drop that. He wants to feel better yeah, cause he's beat up. Yep. He's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I mean, when I would watch Ted DiBiase and Jake together, yep. like that shit was real. Like they may, they were like magicians, man. Uh, but Teddy and uh, Teddy and his wife uh, Mel Melanie came uh, for a week to spend with us, and um, Ted starts talking about the time and upside down tequila shooters. So I walk downstairs to my room, which he hasn't been in yet. Yeah. And I woke up and I have the picture. Him and Melanie start laughing. Uh, you know, great guy, but. So the, the boys were coming into the club, you know, and so I did all my own radio commercials. And at some point, I got a call from the Party News Network, which was a local video, you know, company that did, you know, fun, hot things are happening in Southwest Florida. And they wanted to do a commercial around The Voice. And not a commercial, a story. So they film me in my 62 pink Cadillac. They film me at the, the studio wearing a WrestleMania t-shirt. I mean, just happened to have one on, uh, which I'm a fan of, not a, not a wrestler. And uh, um, they film me in my office. Now I have to digress a moment. So one night I'm in my bar, I'm collecting all the cash drawers, me and one of the other bartenders. And then we all take him in the back Everybody counts their drawer. And while I'm waiting for Smokey to give me his drawer, I'm watching the guys playing Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the video. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. 
girls just want to have fun. Yep. Okay, so in that video is Captain Lou Albano. And Captain Lou Albano uh, was one of my favorite characters of all time in professional wrestling. You know, uh, he'd be interviewing by Vince McMahon, and he was a manager at the time. He wasn't wrestling anymore. And he'd say, McMahon, anyone over 300 pounds is a fat slob. <laughs> and McMahon would look around, and he'd look back at him, but Mr. Albano, isn't it true that you're 317 pounds? He said, I'm very trim 317. <laughs> you know, it was shit like that. I just, I love the guy. Yeah. So I'm watching Captain Lou in this Cindy Lauper video, which I'd seen a million times. Yeah. But because I guess it's fresh in my mind, because so many of the boys have been stopping in, it's like, you blew it, dude. Like, that could have been you. You could have been a part of the madness that is happening right now. How old were you then? And, 31. Okay. And, and uh, I'm looking at the, I'm talking to myself. I'm looking at the video screen and I just go, rock and wrestling. Man, I should have been a part of that. And I take the drawers and I go in. Now, the only reason I know I said that is because Smokey comes in the room. Now, now we've got cocktails, we're drinking shots, we're having beers, you know, we're having a good time because we've already counted the money and everybody's loosened up and there's nowhere for bar people to go, you know, so we just party where we're at. And um, Smokey comes in and, and my real first name before I changed it to Dallas Page 20 some years ago was Page Joseph Falkenberg. But I always knew that the name Page Joseph Falkenberg was never going to draw any real money in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah, That's where Diamond Dallas Page come from. So bottom line is, when I tried it the first time, um, Smokey comes in and he goes, Page J, what do you mean Rocket Wrestling? You should have been a part of that. I said, you heard, you heard me say that? He goes, yeah. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I tried it when I was a kid. He said, really? He said, What's your what was your name? I said, handsome Dallas Page. And he went, woo, you can forget about using that gimmick anymore. And everybody <laughs> started laughing, you know? And so it just got in my brain. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. <laughs> hey, Roman, I'm doing an interview. Lower your voice. <laughs> one of my buddies who's a, uh, a Green Beret, was a former Green Beret, who's training and working with our team because we do a lot of work with, the military, like especially disabled vets and uh, regular veterans, period. Uh, every single fucking day, if you're part of the military in any branch, really in any country, but we focus on our own people here, you know, um, you know, any branch, whether you're in it right now or you're, you've been out and retired, don't matter. Because it shows you what to do and how you go and you file your card and you get the app for 50% off. You get the DVDs because some guys want to be old school. And I brought Roman in because he's really working to be a professional wrestler at, at 35. He's the oldest. He's the oldest kid to come out of the military and used to be Randy Couture was the oldest to come out of the military and be a D1 wrestler. Like oh, make yeah. your team and start. Yep. He, he did, I believe, at 32-ish Roman was 33. Hmm. So he's the oldest D1 
competitor. He went to ASU, Arizona State University, and uh, and then he found me, and uh, you know we uh, we bonded. And I said, okay, here's what we can do for you. I can help you and pay you so you can still follow your dream of being a wrestler. And he was 35, like I was. Right. And uh, and so now they give him. You know, we're teaching him how to, he's already been doing the workout for over four years, uh, but doing it and calling it are two different worlds. And when you're dealing with vets, especially ones that are disabled, well, you have to learn how to modify it. So you have to learn the foundation. That's where I started this whole DDPY rebuild. It's like, no one can tell me my shit's too hard. Like you can't get out of bed. I got three workouts for you in bed called bedplex, then sitting in a chair, chair force, and using a tear, stand strong. So I, I gotta teach him all that stuff. So he's he was doing the calls. He was getting <laughs> loud. And I said, don't just whisper, command people. Military people want to be told what to do with passion. Right. And he was just really getting louder now. It's like I was wondering if you guys were hearing it. Oh, like, I couldn't lower hear it a little bit, Roman. <laughs> okay. Just so wanted, go, so go I just didn't want to be your story. Uh, no, I'm back. I'm back. I'm in the bar. I'm in the bar. I'm in the bar, uh, in the back office. And now the Smokey said that to me. I like, I can't get it out of my head. And this is, this is like a lesson for everyone. I'm going to be 65 in six months. Um, I haven't been training to be 65 in the last five years. I've been training to be 75, 85, 95, and even 105. Right. Why cut myself off? You know? Um, so... When it comes to stories you tell yourself, that's what my book, Positively Unstoppable, is all about, which is this right here, The Art of Owning It. It's like a blueprint for people to own their lives and own their dreams. And it's got to start with a dream. It's got to start with a, God, I really want to be an actor. Oh, but I can't do that. Oh, that'll never happen. You're right. Yeah, mindset, exactly. One of my favorite... Yeah. One of my favorite quotes ever is if you say you can, or you say you can't, you're right. Totally. And then I say, does anybody know who said that? Most people don't. So I say, Henry Ford said that, but what the fuck did he ever do? You know? So it's all about, yeah, I did a few things. You know, the cars weren't really the big thing. The assembly line right, had right. never been done before. Auto you know? So yeah. So, you know, my, my point is it's all about, you know, it starts with an idea, a dream, and then what are you willing to do to get there? Now, in the beginning, it's just a dream, right. an idea in my head. And so I start going, you know, I'm too old to be a wrestler. I was 31 at the time. And technically, I was, you know, to start anyway. And uh, it's not too old to be a wrestler. But what if... I was a manager and I was Diamond Dallas Page. Jimmy Hart's got the Hart Foundation. Right. I could have the Diamond Exchange. Woo, shot, shot, drink, drink. Like we're getting <laughs> blasted, right? Now, as I'm, I'm doodling this, I'm writing this Diamond Dallas Page thing. I'm writing this Diamond Exchange on my blotter pad on my, uh, in my office. And... Um, at some point I go, you know, there's not many really beautiful women in professional wrestling. I said, uh, Elizabeth is beautiful, but yeah. she's like girl next door beautiful. I said, what if 
what if I had a whole stable of the ladies and I called them diamond dolls and they were stripper hot? And I Smokey totally, goes, I totally oh, that'll, this. <laughs> like, that'll be a stretch. Oh, drink, drink, shot, shot. <laughs> so what ended up happening, what ended up happening was uh, that party news network thing I was telling you about. They call me and they want to do the story on me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got a nightclub. Any any branding I can get for my nightclub? Hell yeah, I'm gonna do it. Right. Get the yo. People already heard of it, and we were slammed. But you can never have too many people online waiting to get in your club, ever. So uh, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So they filled me my my like pink. Uh, Cadillac, like we talked about earlier. Um, they filmed me in a studio wearing a WrestleMania t-shirt. This is over a couple of days. Then they filmed me in my office and my guys are in there with me and and they're, the camera's right in front of me. I'm sitting at my office chair and at some point they say, so where does the voice come from? You see, I used to do like when uh, when it got to like Wednesday night, it might be I might go, ooh, yeah, don't miss it. Like hot legs. Ooh, dig it. Yeah, thousand dollars. Thousand dollars in cash and prizes. Ooh, yeah. So I might throw Macho in. I might throw yeah. Jesse in. I might throw Hulk in. Or I might throw synthesizer voices in there. And they say, so where does the voice come from? And there's a pair of white sunglasses sitting next to the scribble in front of me. And I look at it, and if those sunglasses, and if they're not there, I don't know if I do it. I really don't know if I do it, but they are there. And I took those sunglasses, I put them on, and I said, the voice comes from Diamond Dallas Page, daddy. I was born to be a professional wrestling manager. It's big, it's bad, it's Norma Jean's voice. And I took the glasses off and kept doing the thing. I always tell people, you never know who's watching you. So never. don't be an asshole. You know, That's don't be advice, an asshole. Not a joke. That's great advice. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Because you don't know. And it would happen to me over and over and over again. I, who I, Hulk Hogan, you know, at one point comes up to me. I'm the opening match in Berlin. And we went on the road for five days together. And he had just come in the company. And as I come out of the ring, he grabs me and he pulls me over. And he goes, how are you doing it? I go, what I do wrong? How am I doing what, Hulk? He goes, no, you didn't do anything wrong. He goes, how are you getting so much better? Like the company wasn't using me, yeah. but they would use me occasionally. And he says, well, I, I see you on TV, not that often. But when I do, I see you come up with another move and you... You know, you make people get involved and that's that's an art. And he said, this is what they're doing for you, right? They're putting you on the road so you can learn your craft. I went, well, Hook, I said, be honest, I haven't been on the road in four months. I said, the only reason I'm here is because the Germans love their krauts and my last real name is Falkenberg. <laughs> and I got a smoking hot wife that walks me to the ring. I said, that's why I'm here. He's like, how are you getting so much better then? And I explained how I went back to the power plant where I broke in at. And I went back there. Like no one goes back once they have a job. 
but I went back because they weren't using me. They didn't believe I didn't, I didn't start wrestling until I was 35. My career didn't take off until I was 40. So in between 35 and 40, if I wasn't on the road, I was down the power plant. And over that period of time, I was down the power plant five days a week. I was the first to come. I was the last to leave. And he said, whatever you're doing, you need to keep doing it. It is not this year or next year, but somewhere down alone, down the road, you have the ability to draw huge money with me. And he walked away. And I thought, oh, my God, did Hulk Hogan just say? He watches my matches. Okay. I'm the bottom of the card. We call it the curtain jerker. And did he just say that he thought we could draw huge money? I tell you, that became so ingrained in my brain. I tell everyone all the time, never underestimate the power you give someone by believing in you. Never underestimate that power. More importantly, never under underestimate the power you give yourself by believing in you. So that took me up a huge notch. And so let me ask you four years. This is you're training yep. almost like the minor leagues for WWF. WWF minor leagues, right? No. No. WCW was here. WWF was here. Oh, got and it. And WCW. Got it. This is this is Tentura. It was like it was like Coke and Pepsi. Yep. yep. You ain't beating Coke. Right. Like this is never going to happen yeah. in the real world. But when things started changing, it did. It was four years later, Hulk and Rodman are on the tonight show. And the Dennis and the bulls had just for the second time in a yeah. row, beat the jazz, beat Carl Malone and the jazz. And for people who don't know who Carl Malone is, Carl Malone, there's, there's a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is the leading scorer of all time in the NBA. Number two is not Jordan. Right. It's not Kobe. It's Carl Malone by a long shot. Like maybe LeBron will catch him considering he started fresh with no college. Right. You know what I'm saying? So four years later, Malone, uh, I should say Rodman and Hogan are on the stage with the Tonight Show, the world stage. And me and Malone come out and, and start shoot our angle. And this is four years later. Turned out to be the second biggest pay-per-view in the history of WCW. So what Hulk Hogan had said to me, four years earlier was manifesting. This is what I was saying. Sometimes my goals, I yeah. shoot right over them. Like it was manifesting on such a huge level. When we did the press conference the next day, it was nothing but cameras from all over the world. Photographs. I mean, it went probably about 40 feet of nothing but cameras and video cameras and freaking people with pen and paper and uh, um, uh, whatever it's called, uh, tape recorder. Uh, the yeah. bottom line is, yeah, I didn't know Hulk was watching, but I just kept doing and working. So go back to, uh, if I'm trying to remember where I pulled bar. that from, go back to uh, bar. the bar. Oh yeah, and we do the um, we do the uh, the video for the Party News Network. Well, someone saw it, and 
I get a call. I'm in my office in a day. I think it was ordering booze or something. And uh, I get a call on my phone and I hear Judy, the, uh, the front desk go, uh, Paige, there's a, um, there's a guy on the phone for a diamond Dallas page. <laughs> I pick up the phone. I pick up the phone and go, fuck you, Smokey. And I hang up the phone, right? Yeah. I think it's Smokey. You know, fucking with me, you know? Hey, hey. So, so, uh, um, she calls me back and she says, it's not Smokey. It's some guy who has a radio show. I pick up the phone. I go, hello? He goes, hey, man, my name's Smitty. I saw your show on uh, on the Part News Network, and I would love to. I'm a boxing show, but once a month, I'm going to do it four, day, four days a month. Once a month, I'm going to bring on wrestlers. And I really would love to have you do the show with me. I go, bro, I don't really do it. It's just in my head. He's like, what? Uh -huh. I go, no, I don't do it. I was, I was just fucking around. He goes, well, who cares? I just want you to come in and talk about wrestling. I said, I really, I'm not in that genre, so I really don't know enough about it. He goes, well, man, I'm going to have Captain Lou Albano on. Ooh. I said, you say you're having Captain Lou Albano on your show? Like, what's the odds of that, yeah. right? And he says, yeah. I go, I go, if I'm on your show, do I get to talk to him? He's like, absolutely. That's why I want you on. I want you to be our resident, our, our resident wrestler, our, our expert for wrestling. I go, I'm in. <laughs> so I go and get, get on the show with Captain Lil Battle. I had such a good time. The next month, Sergeant Slaughter came on, who was yeah. the classiest guy probably ever born. Um, just a super class act. And after that show that night, me and Smitty go get a cocktail. And we're sitting at the bar and he goes, you know, you got to do something with this Diamond Dallas Page thing. I'm like, Smitty, it's just in my head. Like, it doesn't exist. It was There's no wrestling though. around here. It was manifested. Right, but I, will, but, but I really didn't understand the power of that to later yeah I, I even though everything i did from basketball sure. you know to skimming my way through school you know uh well let me ask you I, something. Uh, where were you where, where you said the the power of goal setting and and were you writing your goals were you i i know you said you oh stuff on the blog yes. okay got it yes i want to clarify that for the audience yes i i, I tell everyone just don't think it ink it Right. Now think about this. Just if those sunglasses are sitting that. there, you know, bringing, uh, if those sunglasses weren't there, all right, and there's a blotter pad with nothing on it, I never say the whole Diamond Dallas Page bit. Right. If the sunglasses are sitting there and I hadn't written anything, I wouldn't have said the Diamond Dallas Page bit. But with it written there and the sunglasses there that gave me a mask, I could do it. You came the character. And it just hit me. Right. And I just was having fun. In my nightclub, I would get in a DJ booth and you know, the really hot songs, you know, that you know, uh, you know, you five below right to, and you just cut the music down, everybody party. <laughs> you know, it was whatever song, whatever hook, you know, got to talk dirty to me, you know, whatever the song was that I could pull it down and get them singing and having a good time. Yeah. And 
ever since I was a kid, I've never done any job that I didn't really like doing. I didn't have to love them. There's in wrestling. I didn't love it at times. I loved it, but it went through a lot of pressure too and backstabbing, which really bothered me. Um, but that's part of the entertainment world and get used to it. Or if you can't handle that heat in the kitchen, get the fuck out and figure out something else you want to do. Right. Um, so uh, back to, because this gets really crazy now. You're drinking in Smitty. You're drinking you Smitty. Yeah, I'm drinking with Smitty. And uh, he says, you know, you got you to gotta do something with it. I go, bro, I, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I don't, know what, I don't know what I can do. And he said, you know, timing's everything. He said, I got this friend of mine named Rob Russin. He used to run boxing all through Georgia and Florida. And boxing's kind of dead right now. So he went up to the AWA, which is like a, the Midwest, you know, uh, territory. It was like Chicago, uh, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, like those, the, the, you know, the, the middle of the country states. Uh, and um, he said, I got his address. I said, why don't you make up? He says, why don't you make up a tape and send it to him? I go, a tape of what? He goes, I don't know. Every night I had a different promotion at my bar. Like literally every single night when we opened. Because I had tea night on Sundays. Um, I had uh, um, restaurant appreciate and bar restaurant appreciation nights on Monday. And then we did uh, like... Uh, theme night on Tuesday, Wednesday was hot legs, Thursday was lip sync, Friday was uh, fine diamond gym, and then Saturday was a dance contest. Every single night. He goes, you do shit every night. He goes, you really want to be involved in this? Make up a fucking tape. And I, and, you, and, I, and and send it to Rob. The character so I started thinking about that. It, right? The character was already there. You yeah. already created it. Yeah, but I, there was no backstory. Yeah, and yeah. being an actor, and I and and, and I have a, uh, I've been working on my acting career since I was forty six. I am now going to be sixty five in April. So for over eighteen years, I've been like really working on my acting career. And I've got a little part here. Got a part in Devil's Rejects with Ram Zabi. Got a couple leads in some smaller little indie flicks. But I did a show that started as something we were doing for YouTube and Netflix got a hold of it. And my buddy, Adi Shankar, who came up with a, a show called Castlevania, which is based on the video game yeah. on Netflix, they wanted to know what else he had. And it's something we had been shooting for YouTube. And now to see where it is to all special effects and everything, um, it's going to be out sometime in early 2021, but it's called Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah. No, excuse me. Gar 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 that, that's wrong one. That's like, that's oh, okay. that's my boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's my boy Batista's. It's called Guardians of Justice, okay. and kind of a playoff. You know, and some points are really campy, but some points are so cool. Uh, and I'm one of the leads of it. And okay. it, it could literally change. It could literally change my life. And it just about the work ethic. It doesn't happen right away. We'll see. We have to get lucky for something to happen um, with that. But back to me making up this tape. I start to 
to build the backstory. And I, I started talking about Guardians of Justice because when I'm acting in a role, I just did a Western friggin' two about a month ago. And I created this whole backstory for the character because it's a version of me, but it's evil version, yeah. you know? So like, you know, you think, well, I could never do that. You could never kill anything. You got one of those fly pestering you. If you got an opportunity to kill that fly, you're fucking <laughs> killing it. So you can find any, and I, I learned all this from a guy named Howard Fine, who's probably one of the best acting coaches in the world. And I studied with him for years. But back then, I still had a kind of an instinct for that and doing, you know, creating something like, Backstory for Diamond Dallas Page, right. who's got the diamond mines in Johannesburg, South Africa, don't you know? And I've got one guy I call Big Bad John. He's a diamond miner, and he's got the hard hat on and the shirt on with a ripped sleeve and a chain around his neck, and he wears jeans, and he's just, he looks like a huge mole man. Yeah. And then I got this other guy called Rock Hard Rick, and Rick was just shredded at about 250. And then I had Ted E. Bear, who was a midget, and he'd come in with the diamond dolls. And we do these promos. And I brought a guy in who's a friend of mine who's a radio announcer who loved wrestling. And I used him as like my mean gene. And he did a great job. And I make this tape up and I send it to Rob Russell in the AWA. Wait a minute. Hang on. I got to oh, we You're you had the, the dolls and, and, uh, and the diamond miner, like you have all these things already going on or are these just in your head. No, no. For the night I say, Hey, you want to be a wrestler? Of course I want to be a wrestler. Got it. Got all right. It. Here's what my plan is. Got it. I'm going to, I'm going to put these guys together who want to be wrestlers. Got it. Okay. The girls were all, they all worked for me. They were all waitresses. So that makes they were like, sure, we'll do it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Um, so I, uh, I said, that tape in. And I get a call from Rob Russin. And he said, is Diamond Dallas Page there? Now, this time, I'm not saying fuck you. No, right? no. <laughs> no. I hear Diamond Dallas Page. I'm like, yeah, who's speaking? And he said, it's Rob Russell from the AWA. I said, hey, Rob, how you doing? I said, you get, you get my tape? He said, that's why I'm calling. He said, we've uh, shown your tape around, and uh, you know, everybody likes your stick. Um, you know, we want to bring you and your boys in for a tryout. But we've got, you know, one question. You know, we've shown the tape around, and everybody kind of likes it. But no one's ever heard of you guys. Where are you working now? And I got to tell him, well, Rob, um, none of those guys can actually wrestle. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> like, why the fuck would you send me the tape? Right. I said, well, it's kind of like it's like a secret society trying to get involved in professional wrestling, you know? So I, you know, I figured, you know, if those guys could train while I'm working, I can manage other people. And basically it was, don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah. And so to hang up and I thought, well, I had a shot, you know, but I wasn't ready for it. And then there's a guy named Paul Heyman in WWF, one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling and has for been for over 30 years. Back then he was called Paulie dangerously. He was a young guy, uh, worked in the AWA managing guys. And he left and he went to the NWA, which would be end up being bought 
by Ted Turner right. and became world championship wrestling, WCW. So all of a sudden there was a void there that a young guy that could talk. So I get a call two weeks later and now it's Vern Gagne, who is the son of the legendary, Ver, I mean, excuse me, Greg Gagne, who's the son of the legendary Vern Gagne. And he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do, Don. want to bring you in and, you know, bring all those crazy clothes you wear. Like I told you, I wore yep, rhinestone shit. Like in the club, in Fort Myers. It's not like I'm in New York City, right. you know? And uh, <laughs> bring all those crazy clothes you have and a couple of those hot diamond dolls and we'll give you a tryout. And... Wait, did you know how I to wrestle at this time? I wasn't wrestling. I was managing. No, but did you Meaning know? I'm talking. Oh, right, right, right. No. I had three matches 10 years before this, That's and right. I sucked, <laughs> you know, eight years before this. So I end up doing, next thing you know, on Saturday nights at 12 o'clock, I'm on ESPN. Wow. Because that's the spot the AWA had at that time. And now if you watch uh, ESPN Classics and there's wrestling, there's a good chance I'm going to come on at some point. And, um, and then I worked Florida Championship Wrestling. Uh, Dusty Rhodes had come into, uh, into town and uh, he's gonna, he left the, the NWA and he came into Florida because years before he was selling out he put 5,000 people in an arena for an autograph session. Yep. He was a god, you know. And uh, bottom line is Dusty took me under his wing. And I always tell people without Dusty Rhodes, there is no Diamond Dallas Page. Without Jake the Snake Roberts, there's no three-time world champion. Without those guys and my work ethic, there's no – Hall of Famer, you know, it's like it power, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter who helps you, you know, it matters what you learn and how hard you work. Yeah. And that's that's a big thing. Most people they want a pill, but I want a pill. I just want to, I just want to be famous. <laughs> you know, like I want to be rich. Don't work like that. Now, some people get lucky like that. That's one in a billion. And uh you know, the people who really put the work in, they're the people who get noticed. Right. So you never know who's watching you. And so uh, Dusty loved me, took me under his wing. Um, he, Florida, it never materialized into anything. And Dusty went back to WWF. And at some point he left there and came back to WCW, again, which is owned by Ted Turner. And he brought me in and I was just at the end of it, man. I was at the end of my nightclub thing. I was, I was 35 and I was just, I was done. I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, I'd been in that world and I loved it, yeah. but I was getting older and I didn't mind going to a bar, but I don't want to live in one anymore. <laughs> and uh, so Dusty gave me an opportunity to come in WCW as a manager, color commentator, you know, fourth string color commentating, yeah. meaning like our show that we're doing the play-by-play -play for in color, that might be on Moose Breath, Iowa, two in the morning, you know? Like, so, you know, you're in that journeyman spot, you know? Yeah. And bottom line is I managed, I might manage some high profile guys, but 
one day this guy Magnum comes up to me and he's Dusty's right hand man, Magnum TA. And he says, D, we can't let you manage guys anymore. I'm like, why not? Like, what, what, what did I do wrong? Yeah. He goes, honestly, nothing. He said, but the hair, the clothes, the bling, the wrap, the dolls. No one's paying attention to the boys out there. <laughs> You're taking too much attention. And I look at him and I go, Magnum, are you telling me I'm too over the top for professional fucking wrestling? <laughs> And he said, yeah, but it's not your fault. He said, what we should have done was put you in a pair of tights and boots and see if you could do this. Now, at that time, I am 35 and a half. Damn. I have seven months left on my contract. And I go in that day. Next, I, that night, I managed in a fabulous Freebirds. I got to get a picture, really put it in perspective. So this is the guys I'm managing, two of the greatest talkers ever in the business. His name is Michael P.S. Hayes with the blonde hair and Jimmy Jam Garvin oh, yeah. with the dark hair and and uh, the Freebirds, fabulous Freebirds, and both Hall of Famers. Uh, I go to the curtain where I'm going to go out and I'm going to manage them. I'm going to go out and introduce them and blah, blah, blah. And they knew I was bummed out, man. And they came up. They were so empathetic. They're like, man, we're so sorry to hear this, man. But, you know, this part of the business, man. But, uh, you know, you're, you'll, you'll do all right with color. And you'll, you'll grow in it. And I went, fuck color. I said, I never got in this business to be a manager or a color commentator. I wanted to get in this business originally to be a wrestler. I'm going down to power plant. I'm going to learn how to wrestle. And they both looked at each other. And burst out laughing so hard. They thought it was the funniest thing they ever heard. Michael actually fell down on the ground laughing. But you're, I mean, you're uh, though. What, what was going through your mind to say, yeah, it's not too late. I can do this. It's fine. Because I said I could do this. Yeah. And I knew I already had a notch up on any other person who would be ever be anywhere near my age. Because I'd already had some branding built into the diamond Dallas page character. Yeah. Uh, so I knew it be, might be if I could just not get hurt, you know, if I didn't, as long as I don't get injured, you know, then I could probably get four years out of this and being a bad guy, or we, as we call it a heel, being a heel, I could, as a color commentator, be what Jesse was back then. Yeah. And I could say when I was in the ring with Sting or the nature boy, Ric Flair, like they were within two inches of having their lights cut out. I could, whether it happened, whether they beat me in 30 seconds or not, as a heel, I could lie. And as long as my matches were semi-watchable and I got credibility, that's what my mindset was at the time. And because so many people doubted me and laughed at me about it, I thought, fuck you, bro. Did it fuel you? Watch me. Fueled you. Oh, without question. And it. some people it doesn't fuel. Some people it doesn't fuel. Some people it destroys them. And those people, they need a pat on the back. 
I'm telling you guys on the truth. I never even liked the pat on the back. Like, cause I would have people tell, Oh my God, you are, you're the man. You're like, so over like, Oh, well, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like the more famous I got, the less ego I knew who I was, but my ego got like really brought down. And it really came from being in the nightclub business. Cause I remember when I was running that bar down the street from the stone pony and we became the spot. And then me and the owner had a big falling out about two years in. And basically I said, fuck you. I'll go somewhere else. And I did. And 80% of those new friends I had, like they were gone, you know, the, the fair weather friends. So I learned very early on because as a, as a nightclub manager, when you have a really hot club, you're like a celebrity. You are a celebrity in your area. It's like the cheer song, you know, where everybody knows your name, but the guy who's running that, he's the king. Like the bartender's over his fuck, but the guy who runs that place, if he's got charisma, he's the king. And when, and I, I'd learned what it was like to go from being like here and then, and, uh, so I never took, fucking fame seriously as far as this is who i am yeah yeah. you know in the ring like it's a work it's act it's like actors who get full of themselves because you're an actor you're acting who are you as a person that's what fucking matters (laughs) you know isn't that true for everybody in the world like they most people Mm -hmm. tell me if you agree with this most people don't know who they are they are their job they are someone's dad or someone's wife or somebody's son. They, they are something of, of, of not internal. And that's a huge problem for people. Huge problem. I think, I think it's one of the reasons why people really beat themselves up yeah. because they don't know. They, they, they don't know. One of the, I could read you one post after another of some of the most amazing shit ever. Um, that would blow your mind when it comes to my program. It's all about building confidence in people. Yourself. And yeah. yeah. And, and feeling good about you, even though you wore yourself into a hole, the feeling good about you is so important. Like every decision I make, every fucking single decision I make, it's like, how does it make me feel about me? Yeah. Right. You're, you're, yep. you can't escape you. I, I, I know plenty of, I have tons of people that will, uh, you know, I have a real estate business here in, in Baltimore. They'll, they'll move to avoid the government, the, this, the city, the, and they move. And I go, well, do you realize that you're going to go with you? All your problems, all your pain, all your bullshit that's with you inside. You'll never run from that. You have to fix that by yourself. For yourself, hundred percent, man. You no, know? that's why I love your program. Your your um your words of encouragement to people because you're leading. Like most people think that you might own it. DDPY DDP Yoga is <laughs> yeah, I lead you're it. leading it, and your words of encouragement are really are really amazing because, like you said, it's for people. You know what actually reminded me of a a, very, a much more masculine version of um of what Richard Simmons co- concept was. <laughs> 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 I, 
Hey, let me tell you, totally let me add, 12 years ago. Yeah. No, no, no. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. Uh, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, I was doing an uh, interview with a guy named Brian Alvarez. I mean, like, I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, he said, um, I want, you have to also understand that DDP Yoga is an eight-year overnight success. Right. And most, and that I was five up. Everyone is. Every organization is. <laughs> the, work, the, the work, the work, the work, the work, you know? And I'm a big, big believer in that 10,000-hour thing. Sure. But it took eight years, $48,000 in before I took a dime. Damn. Eight years it took to get over. So Brian Alvarez is doing an interview with me. And this is 12 years ago from right now, all right? And he says to me, so where is Diamond Dallas Page five years from now? And at the time I said to him, well, Brian, to be honest, I, I honestly believe I will be known as the new Jack Willane meets Tony Robbins meets straight Richard Simmons. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, it's so yes. True. That's a great con. That's a great. I help a lot of big, and I love it. Okay. I have to read you this thing. And I'll tell you just okay. a cold story. Okay. That's not that one. It's that note of you saying that about mm, two months ago, my phone starts ding, ding, ding. And it was for Twitter messages, people messaging me, right? And I, and I had, to, I thought I'd turn that off, but it was going. And it was, and I look over, and this guy keeps sending me one thing after another. So this is what he sends me. He says, "Sir, I'm not even sure how to address you, Mr. Page, Dallas, DDP. In March of this year, I was at my absolute heaviest. My diet was poor. My body was falling apart." I was having some serious health issues. It got to the point where my doctor saw me for a visit and he said something along the lines of, I didn't think I'd see you again. I really thought you were going to die in between visits. Before, within a week, my wife comes into the bedroom and she tells me our marriage is over. She found a boyfriend and I needed to leave. With as much dignity as I could muster, I moved out of my house and into a new apartment. The pandemic had taken hold, so I was experiencing health issues that medical professionals thought would kill me. The virus was wreaking havoc on my, my the virus, virus was wreaking havoc on my body and my entire life was falling apart. A friend of mine, sold me a copy. Now, I used to call DDPY, YRG. That's way in the beginning. Right. He said, a, a friend of mine sold me a copy of YRG a few years ago. I never really sunk my teeth into it because I was so busy with work and living life that was killing me. Since there was nowhere to go but up, I put in the DVD and did the fat burner workout. I hurt. But it was a... Uh, distraction from an incredibly broken heart. One of my colleagues at work noticed I was making some changes and asked me what I was doing. When he heard I was doing YRG, he told me, DDP has come out with a new book. Uh, I think you might like it. So I stopped at Barnes and Noble on the way home and picked up Positively Unstoppable. 
that book made me see the truth of my situation. Yes, my wife into my ass. She was with someone new. And yes, I had to start over at 35. All those things considered, it was my act and take charge. I couldn't change what had happened, but I could take control of where I was going. My diet, my exercise, my lifestyle all became contingent on what I was doing. Instead of looking at this sudden lifestyle change as something that had happened to me, I draw inspiration from Positively Unstoppable. I began seeing my situation as a situation as an opportunity to be excited about the changes in my life. I was becoming strong. I didn't see eating as being depressed about what I couldn't eat, but being jazzed about what I could eat. Through your wisdom and encouragement, I began listening to my body. I paid attention to what my body ran well on, what my body reacted well to, the foods I was affecting that were affecting my mood in different ways. Restrictive diets don't work. And because I was listening to what my body was asking for, I didn't have to go through a restrictive diet. I substituted garbage for high octane fuel. I left home on April 4th at my heaviest. When I weighed in at the doctor last time, I had shed 60 pounds in four months. My blood pressure had improved. My mental clarity and my stamina along with my mood. My body is stronger than it was when I was 25. I still have a very long way to go, but now I know I'm equipped for the battle, not just a fight, but to win. I'm sure you hear it a lot, Mr. Dallas, but but your work has absolutely saved my life. Your workouts are encouraging and tough. Your book is incredible. Diamond Dallas remembers hating Dennis Rodman for interrupting DDP, almost joining the Wolf Pack. I can't imagine a better spirit on earth to inspire my journey. Now, this is him, and he says, here I am at critical mass, 552. 500 pounds. See that at 1230 at night. I text him back. I DM him back. Send me your phone number. He sends right back, here's my number. I called him at 12.32 in the morning and we talked for an hour. Today, and then I had him do things that are on the list of the app, which breaks down how you really control your life. And you got to take charge and really wanted to show him what the food was that he was eating so he would understand. And, And... in two more months, now he's down. So he was down 60. Uh, in three months now, I think it, it's been, he's down 110 pounds in six months. I love that, man. So go back. I want to, so you get, you are, you become a professional wrestler. I want to make sure we have time for DDP. Why? So you become a professional wrestler and anybody that knows you knows that whole world, but then something happens that shifts your entire orbit. And that's how, and that's how, the thing that you're in today really, which is your, 
this is your alignment, man. This is your mission. I mean, I watch your stuff. I've known you since I was a little kid. I mean, I've not known you, but known of you, watching you when I was a kid with my dad. And, and what I've seen from the app and from your videos and all the different workouts is this is your mission. Wrestling was fun. This is your, your design to do this. Hey, right. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't know that. Yeah, of course. Uh, not at the time. Um, what had happened is in 1996, not in the beginning of the year, but at the end of the year in 96, my career, it was, it was already getting momentum. But by the end of 96, I was on fire. Yeah. And I had started in, in January, I'd started this angle with the NWO that I came up with. And you got to come up with your own shit, Mike. You can't be expecting everybody to create shit for you. Um, but I came up with this idea where the NWO, Kevin and Scott, who I had real, real relationships with. Uh, Kevin Nash, when he went in the Hall of Fame, he thanked me because without me, he doesn't think he wouldn't have his beachfront condo. Those are his words, right. not mine. And the only reason he said that was there's times he wanted to quit. And I would like, big man, you're 6'10", you're 320 pounds, you're movie star, handsome. Like, don't let them beat you. You're going to be one of the biggest stars in the world. And Kevin is one of the biggest stars in the world, not just in wrestling, on the screen. He's, he, he works all the time. And we had such a real relationship that when they were just killing guys, they came to me and wanted me to join the NWO, my idea. And I'm like, oh, now you want me? Like, what happened to number three? You know, four, five, you coming to me, I'm number eight? And now, not happening. Normally, they just kill a guy there. Right. But because boys are like, oh, Dally, you'll get over it. And that started the angle. And no one had dropped the Kevin or Scott. Nobody. No, got, never, no one ever got the upper hand on them. But they allowed that to happen and put me in that spot. And then Randy Savage, he came down and they set it up, Kevin and Scott. And Randy came down and, you know, like Pearl harbored me and took me down and we started our angle. And in 1997, Savage and Page would be the feud of the year. Yeah. Which is mind blowing if you go back just one year. Like you would never have thought it in a million years. But it's crazy how one year sometimes can just change your whole life. Yep. And it took, it took eight years to get there, you know, but it just exploded. And next thing you know, I think I headlined either semi-main event or main evented 13 out of 24 main event pay-per-views. Now that whole time, all those guys are making seven figures. I'm making like, it's a lot of money, but for that position, I'm making 275000 a year. That is nothing, especially when you take all your expenses in and shit. Right. So bottom line is I held out till it was finally time to sign, and then I signed for the big contract, and I'm just walking on clouds, and then I blew my back out. And what I did actually is I ruptured my L4 and L5. Yeah. So in between the vertebrae, God gave us this amazing spine in between it are these magic things called discs and they're like shock absorbers and you only can fall so many times. Yeah. And they're just going to 
burst. <laughs> and I fell a lot. <laughs> I got thrown down a lot. I got bounced on a lot. I did crazy shit to myself a lot. And uh, next thing I know, I got three, three of the top spine specialists in the world telling me, you're done. And, you know, I went from one to another to another to see if maybe he's got a better, maybe he's got a different idea. But they all said the same thing. And around that time, my first wife, Kimberly, had introduced me to yoga. And I was like, I'm actually quoted in the Wall Street Journal when I did a book called Yoga for Regular Guys. Uh, it was the first book I did years later. Um, and uh, the guy who was writing the article, I told him, I told her, fuck that. I wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. And he put in, in, the, in the Wall Street Journal, it said <laughs> F dash 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 that. Wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. And um, that was my mindset. And thank God I was not the ignorant person moving forward that I was back then. And I always tell people flexibility is youth, not just in your body, right. but in your mind. Yep. You've got to be flexible to take in the change. And I'll tell you, I was so thankful to Kim and to yoga for like, really like, oh my God, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling better than I should be. About three weeks in, I could feel a difference. And I'm still doing the rehab too. Now I've rehabbed both shoulder surgeries, both knee surgeries, now I'm doing the back rehab. So I know a lot about rehab and just getting myself healed. Like I'm the first guy to ice his body in professional wrestling, day one in the power plant. Ice in my knees and ice in my back. Everybody thought I was crazy. Then the trainers came in seven years later, and then everybody was like, oh, wow, that does make sense. I was doing it the whole time. But you so were I was trying to hold back the hands of time. With yoga, you were saying to the doctors, were saying, you're never going to do this. You're never going to do this. You won't get this. You'll be here. And you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become an expert in healing my own body. And you did that. And I have a, and, I have a very simple. And just story. because. You do too. Yeah, I broke my. What's pelvis, your story? Broke my pelvis and my sacrum ten years ago in an ATV accident, and about ten years mm. before that, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And they said you'll be on steroids and have surgeries every year for the rest wow. of your life. And I said, okay, I'm 19, 19 years old. I don't know. I mean, eighteen years old. I, I don't. I, I couldn't comprehend that. But both of those times, uh, it was actually my mom who said, "We can figure this out." We, the body can heal itself. We can figure this out. And so at that point, I learned all about nutrition because I said, mom, these, this medicine is, I mean, I went from 165 pounds to 145 pounds, but up to 210 pounds my senior year of college. That was, was traumatic. It was hard. And then we shifted the diet. I got into the mindset. I learned new habits and skills. And I said, I can control the inflammation in my body. That's all this is. I can control the response. And that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And then with the with the um, pelvic break on the ATV, the doctor said it's going to be 12 weeks before you'll walk again. And I said, dude, I can't sit still for 10 minutes, more or less 12 weeks. So I went back and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start setting goals. We're going to set increments. By Friday, I'm going to get up and, and, you know, and pee in a bottle on the side of the bed. And, and by that following Friday, I'm going to balance myself on one leg. And then by the following Friday, I'm going to do this. And we just set incremental goals, just like you, just the same, your, your story with, with, uh, with the yoga. 
that is crucially important to anybody that's listening is that you are in control. The doctors, the this, the professionals, they can give you an idea from their expertise. You still have to take that information and, and roll with it. Yeah, and, and the bottom line is they don't know. Right. They're you know, right. They, have, they have an idea. Right. And, you know, it's all about, again, it goes back to, you know, positively unstoppable. The art of owning it is all about owning the story you tell yourself. Yeah. And once I started to feel better doing just yoga and I was feeling better doing just rehab, I thought, well, why would I just mix them? You know, and like, wow, this kind of flows. And then I thought, well, let me do some old school calisthenics, push-ups, squats, crunches. But I don't want to just go up and down. I'm going to lower for three, hold for three, right. push up for three. In the beginning, I had to do it on my knees. Eventually, I get off my knees. Eventually, three-second push-ups became five-second push-ups. Five-second push-ups became 10-second push-ups. What I learned doing slow burn movements isometrics, just pushing on a wall, a car, you're pushing on a car that's on a hill and it's going to go. If you let go, the car's going to go. Right. So if you're just stopped there and holding and pushing, not moving, your heart rate's going to go up because mm. you're engaging muscle. Now start to move and think of like moving weights, time under tension. Right your heart rate goes up higher and higher and higher because every time you flex or engage a muscle, your heart has to beat faster to get the blood to the muscle. Before you know it, I've created this workout that today I call DDPY. And why do I call DDP yoga DDPY? Because I want people to stop calling it just fucking yoga. Right. Because it's not. So your program and any yogi, good. Yeah. right. You know, that's why when people call it yoga, whoa, fucking stop. That's a box. And I love yoga today. Like back in those days, first 42 years of my life, I'm a guy who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. But now that I've been enlightened right. and opened my mind and became flexible to the idea, I realized, wow, this shit's fucking amazing. Yep. But it wasn't giving me everything I needed. Hence the rehabilitation techniques, hence the fucking slow burn calisthenics, body on body, time under tension. Then I went to a fact like reach out and grab the dumbbells, inhale, deep breath, and pull three, two, one. Engaging as you're going, like boom, 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 heart rate up. Yeah. But now I'm about to release right after Black Friday, the thing I've been working on for the last year. And that's called DDPY Jacked. And I got with a company. I started with BFR training. Have you ever tried it? No. Blood flow restriction. Oh yeah, it like, go, would go around your arm. Was telling me about this. What? Yeah. What is? That? I saw. I saw on a bunch of the videos. You're like, all right, twist, tw tweak them up, tweak them up. And I didn't know what that was around your arm. Yeah, jack them up. They they are they are BFR straps meaning blood flow restriction straps. Think of, and everyone's had this done to them. Think of a blood pressure device. Yeah. When they pump it up, what happens? Constricts. It traps the blood. Right. And you start getting like 
now, now try and do curls right. with that on. Now, the thing is, most of the devices out there are what I call blood pressure devices, but they're little and they strap around and you put an attachment on and you pump them up. And it's all about rehab. That's what these things were used for. So you do curls or you do laterals or you do leg lifts, whatever you're doing. Then you hit and it lets the air out. So now it's just a basically a cuff around you, right? You move around. Okay, now it's time to do it again. Pop them up and then unpump. My workout's a flow. I can't do that. Right. So I found a um, dials that spin, which make it tighter, just like it would be air, except for it's got this protective. I got to read you a guy. This is short. This is a guy who did a, um, he did a, uh, uh, a comparison, DDP yoga versus P90X. And it was thorough. His versus name is uh, JJ. So I called JJ no, no, the whole program, P90X versus DDP Yoga. He did a hell of a job. Look at it. It's on YouTube. It's amazing. But when it came down, he's a, you know, he loves the program, does the program, but he also is a bodybuilder, not bodybuilder, but weightlifter. Because yeah. he's not that big a guy, maybe about 180, 190, but he can move some weight, like 300 plus pounds. And I think he's 40-ish, somewhere around there. So I say, JJ, I need you. I need you to just do DDPY Jack for 90 days. He's like, no weights? I'm like, no weights. So he starts a program and he was really skeptical, right? Starts a program and go, let's just see where you are. Let's do a comparison at 45 days in and then we'll see where you are at 90. So here's what he wrote and he had a thread with all these guys, Kent's on this thread. So JJ writes, I've been lifting weights for five days. Oh, I've been lifting weights five days a week and doing DDPY two days a week for the past two years or so. Since Labor Day, I've done nothing but DDPY jacked every day. No weights. My midpoint lifting test was yesterday. On my heavy sets, I lost no reps. Wow. And then he put in parentheses, I lost two reps doing the alternative when COVID was really heavy, doing the alternative of light weights and high reps. On my lighter sets, I gained strength and a couple reps. And then he writes magic. He writes massive surprise since I've been lifting only air for 45 days. <laughs> That's Love that. Love that's that. what I'll do. I'll do a whole story on it. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Yeah. So it's just, I'm always changing the workout. I, I said earlier, our workouts start in bed. Like, you can't get out of bed. I got three workouts for you. And I never thought this would happen. I did it for maybe people who were immobile. <laughs> but I had one of my buddies, Bobby Fish, who tore his ACL. And when I came down to work with the guys, the kids from uh, WWE NXT down in Florida, that's one of the WWE's. Uh, you know, training centers, Bobby had come up to me and he goes, man, thank you so much, man, for, you know, for letting me have the program. Cause I give it to all of them. I give them to all athletes and, you know, we're with the NFL alumni, you know, so I can take care of all those guys. And, uh, 
So Bobby says, you know, I tore my ACL. I said, yeah. I said, how you doing? He goes, like, so much better that these doctors couldn't believe it. He said, I started with your bed flex workouts because that's all I could do. And then I went to the chair workouts and I did them. When I went back to see the doctor, he's like, how the fuck are you making these gains? He goes, I'm doing DDPY. I started with a bed, now I'm doing the chair. He goes, then I went to stand strong where I'm using the chair. Again, I never developed this for an elite athlete. I developed this for older people who are broken down and, and beat up. So it goes all the way to cycle extreme shit. I love and it. the app right now, the app is, we've had the app up for five years. We, we've got so many people on that app. It's mind blowing. And every Monday, you're going to get Motivational Monday. And over this time, it's, it's, it can be pretty festive. Let's just put it like that. Every Friday, and this is when people ask me about my program. I tell them, don't listen to a word I say. Don't listen to anything I say about my own program. Everybody's on Facebook. Younger people, they can get on their mother's Facebook or their father's. And just go to DDP Yoga, one word. It's a member's site. And people are just a group of people who do the program started it. Well, now it's almost 54,000 people. And it is the most active. It is the number one um, community. No judgment. When you go on there, I have six pictures you take, which is all on the app. You take these six pictures. They're all about physiology, flexibility, and core strength. People that are big and because it's such a giving site and everybody is super supportive, the love that comes back to help everyone. And even if someone falls down and I just gained back 30 pounds, you can do it. You like the support system on something that is something awful what I created, but I didn't create this. Right. They, the people who do the program did. And I say, just go there and read what people have to say. But back, just put back gaps. So I can really tell you, I started reading shit from there. Like, on Facebook, what I call Fabulous Facebook Friday, I just go on during the week and I find one. Sometimes I pull up eight of them and I just read one after another because I'm so blown away by what these people are writing. There's some that really tear me up too, like choke sure. me up. So that's every Friday. Every, um, every uh, Tuesday, it's a new workout and it could be something that's super simple or something that's super challenging. There's over 300 workouts up there right now. So you can't tell me you ever got bored. You can't <laughs> tell me you can't do it. Like, fuck you. Yes, you can. Or you don't want to do it. That's cool too. But that's on you. Can't tell me you can't do my shit. And then I have a tracking section where we take those six pictures. You take the measurements, you take your weight, you take your pain. If you're really bad health, blood pressure, blood sugar, A1C, then I'm going to show you where to go. And I'm not just going to tell you what foods to eat. I'm going to friggin' have you list. I'm going to list them off. And I'm going to not just tell you about them. I'm going to cook them for you and show you how to cook this meal. So 
it couldn't be anything easier between the uh, the workouts, the inspiration all over the place, yep. uh, telling you how to get around, the tracking, and the food. And if you go to ddpy.com or ddpyoga.com right now, you'll see a bunch of different videos at the bottom. If you get on the app, it costs you nothing to try it. Just get on seven days free and you get to try it. And right now on the year membership, it's 30% off. This is the only time you will see that, period. Of course, unless you're military. military right. And it's always, oh, always 50% off. So before we, before we wrap up, I want that Stone Cold Steve Austin story. It's real pleasure talking to you about what we're doing. Thanks, and well, believe me, there's many things we can talk about next time I come on that nothing to do with what we talked about right here. <laughs> well, listen, Dallas, thanks for, thanks, you know, taking the time. I'm almost two hours at this point, hanging out with me. The listeners are going to really love your story. This, the, the perseverance, the mindset. I, I wrote a ton of notes here. So thanks for being on, man. We really, really appreciate you. Hey bro. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> all right buddy check it out guys go to ddpy.com ddpy.com check it out see you my friend see you buddy all right everybody that wraps up our interview with diamond dallas page so check it out if you like this and you want to find out more information you can always check out diamond's websites uh or you can check out ddp yoga all you have to do just ddp yoga google that and you'll find everything you want to know on his systems the apps and all the wonderful things that he was talking about today his book positively unstoppable is out on amazon you can find that and then if you just want to go to one spot to find everything that's in our show notes mentalpurposepodcast.com you'll find everything about diamond dallas page and everything he's into the book DDPY. And by the way, remember, don't call it yoga. It's Diamond Dallas Page Yoga, DDP Yoga or DDPY. So I hope you all had fun today. Super long episode, uh, super quiet for me. Uh, we love you listening. We appreciate you. We're very grateful for you. We hear from uh, so many of you each episode and how much it has impacted your life in a positive manner. And you know, that's our goal elevate, educate, enrich, empower, and evolve you, evolve our, evolve our information, our education, and blend it all together so that you can take anything that you need to level up your life, however you see fit, however it serves you best. Remember, we have front runner events, we have one-on-one -on -one coaching, we have group coaching, we have online stuff. Anything that you need, if something strikes you and you want to reach out to us, do it. We don't bite, I promise. Go to mentalpurposepodcast.com or you can go to my website, ianlobas.com, I-A-N-L-O-B-A-S.com forward slash apply. Hit the apply button. Jump on a phone call with myself or Aaron and we're happy to help you through whatever you need. All right, until next time, have a great one. Thanks again for listening to the Men on Purpose podcast where our mission is to educate, elevate, and activate every man to truly live their best, most fulfilling life possible. To find out more about the podcast, our guests, or becoming a man on purpose, visit menonpurposepodcast.com and choose your most purposeful path forward.